Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the AWS Developers Podcast. My name is Brooke Jamison. I'm a senior developer advocate here at AWS, and I'm joined by Dave. Dave, do you want to introduce yourself? Hello, Dave. <laughs> Off to a great start. Uh, today, <laughs> we're working through uh, talking about the Big Dev Theory, which is a Twitch show and cinematic universe. Uh, we're joined by the co-host, Duan Lightfoot, who is a senior developer adv advocate on the infrastructure team at AWS, and Stuart Clark, who is a senior developer advocate on the community engagement team here at AWS. Welcome, Duan and Stuart. Hola. Hey there. <laughs> now, you both have pretty interesting backgrounds. I stalked Stuart online when I joined his team. Uh, Stuart, tell us all about the interesting job you had before you came to tech, and then maybe how that influenced your journey through tech. Thank you. I, I would love to. So one of the more interesting jobs is I had a, a job once of grading carrots, which is uh, pretty cool. You see all of these carrots go on a conveyor belt past you and you have to pick them up and inspect them and decide, you know, which ones are, are, are good enough to be to be sold as wholesale as bags or something. But yeah, that was Wait, hold on. Hold on a second. Yep. How big are these carrots? Are these like carrots that grow like just regular carrots in the ground? Were they special carrots? No, no, Where do baby carrots come from? Ah, oh, yeah. So th that's a great question. So I, I live in uh, the, the county of Lincolnshire in England that we're very famous for our, our root vegetables. And one of the oh, things we do well here is, is, is grow carrots and other assorted root vegetables. So yeah, just, just, just regular carrots. But uh, I'm not sure where baby carrots come from, Dave. Yeah, we're going to have to find out. Yeah. Do you want me to ruin this for you? See, I knew Brooke was going to, because Brooke knows everything. Yes, please, Ru, there are there pieces of carrots? Well, the fun fact is that baby carrots that you buy in the U.S. are often shaved down from larger carrots, which is why they're all the same size and shape. So they start with like bigger carrots or carrots that are different shaped that they couldn't normally sell, and then they shave them down. Oh, it's like the leftover carrots, and then oh. they just make little carrot McNuggets, basically. Carrot McNuggets. I like that. I know that. Yeah. <laughs> So besides the carrot factory, uh, besides the carrot factory job, my first, I, 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 when I left school, I, I trained as a hairdresser and I did that for um, close to 15 years. And yeah. it was great, you know, great career. Got to travel the world a lot, worked in some very, very nice, you know, establishments, wrote articles for magazines, you know, not only just trade magazines, but, you know, uh, sort of fashion magazines as well. And also newspapers, helped design ranges of, of hair products as well you know which is, which is really, really wow cool. yeah did you make a hairdresser haircut i almost did i learned this from brooke in their modeling career that there's a hairdresser haircut which is basically a haircut no one would have but it's something that you would have for a, a shoot a photo shoot yeah yeah it's hairdresser it's a haircut that only hairdressers think are good and i always talk about this in tech because i think a lot of the times tech marketing can end up the same and it's just like when you make content that only other DevRel people would think is good, uh, which yeah. happens quite a lot. Um, so it just forces you to be a bit more yeah. user focused and grounded in what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. I kind of did. I, I kind of stayed away from that because you know, it's you often as a hairdresser, you know, you get presented with pictures. People bring in pictures from magazines, and you have to think how practical that is for for you know the person that you're doing it for. Not only does it have to suit them, is you know, do they do they have forty five minutes in the morning to put that much effort into styling their hair yeah. in that manner? And then, so you have to you have to take that in, into consideration. And that's pretty similar to tech applications as well. I think when I was working in professional services before this, sometimes executives would go to conferences and they would get really great ideas that were essentially the 
tech equivalent of arriving to a hair salon with a Jennifer Aniston picture um, and just saying that they wanted the absolute world, but then talking to them and realizing they absolutely can't even hire people who can yeah. maintain that system for them yeah. or they've got no yeah, ability to, to do that. Yeah, to maintain their skills. And yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've, I've certainly seen that, you know, today in, in, in the, it's certainly in the industry, you see some specs and, you know, the, the requirements for a job are, you know, vast experience using things like Yang models or something like that. And it's there's only few people who have that kind of level of of expertise. Certainly one of the projects I remember working on was for a US government agency. And all I can say is that they were made up from three letters. And what they wanted to implement, I spoke with the the team who actually implemented this. And they said, what they're looking to implement is so sophisticated there's probably only a handful of people in the world who could even do that. Yeah, it's a very common problem. Um, and hopefully it's something I think it's podcasts like this one that really help to normalize it for developers. And I guess that's pretty similar to what you do on your show, just like by developer for developer content to normalize what the actual process looks like. Yeah. Uh, Duan, do you have an interesting journey into tech? Can you tell me a little bit about your first job or maybe how that's changed through your career? Yeah, I actually started the military, well, in the military, in the Air Force. I started in IT. Oh, wow. Yeah, it, it was really interesting. I did about five years overseas. I did some time in Afghanistan, all doing IT. So doing the war on enduring freedom. I was actually waking up, working in the SCIF, managing wow. networks. Thank you, sir. servers, for sure. And then at night, I was sleeping in the tent. Really enjoyed that. <laughs> wow. What's a SCIF? It's sir, just, like, I'm not the only person maybe that's going to be listening. It <laughs> so a skiff is, think of a secure room that has like 12 inch thick cement walls that has a secure vaulted door that only people that have need to know secure access can enter that room. And so it's, it's set up to basically manage secure networks, right? And secure those networks to ensure that no one gets access to that environment. That's how I like to treat meeting rooms in the office as well. Really just, it's a need to know basis to come in here. I think. Well, it used to be like that. I mean, you, you'd literally get kicked out. It, that was like high in demand real estate. But nowadays it's just Brooke in the office. Do you find that your experience in the military has shaped how you approach your tech career at AWS or in large companies? Yeah. So when you think about my time in the military versus now, here at AWS, in the military, we had our core values, and those core values were service before self, integrity first, and excellence in all we do. And those were kind of in line with at AWS. And so that kind of just kind of prepared me and gave me the focus for this experience. Yeah. Do, you st- do you still get up early? Yeah, I get up four o'clock in the morning every day. Oh, that's what I figured. Yep, even before me, I get up between like 5.30 and 6.30 and watch this out, but definitely not military time. That's awesome. I got to go to the Skills Center launch at Arlington in Virginia when AWS launched that, which was really cool. But I got to meet lots of veterans who wanted to transition to cloud careers. I guess you would get asked this a lot, but do you have any top tips for veterans looking to transition to a tech career? Um, As soon as possible, find someone that works on resumes that can transition what you did in the military to the civilian sector. Uh, One of my biggest struggles was understanding how the proprietary systems that I worked on in the military converted to things like something as simple as Microsoft Office. We didn't use Office in the military, we used something else. And so transferring that and putting it on your resume to say, hey, here's what I've done 
and here's the impact that I've had in our organization in the military and to present that value when you're applying for jobs. Yeah. I've even heard something similar from teachers as well when teachers are looking to do a non-teaching job afterwards, working out how to translate different skills that they have. Lots of teachers are doing heaps with data analytics and data collection, but they might not necessarily always bring that up on their resume. So it's always interesting for me to see how people change the way they talk about their skills as part of a transition like this. Let, why don't we start with the big dev theory show? What's it all about? What's the vibe? What are you all trying to look at? You come from two different teams. You have fantastic beards, a ton of knowledge. Tell me a little bit about the Big Dev Theory Show, and I'll make sure I include links to everything in the show notes too, if the audience would love to check it out. Joel, I think so. Coming into this show and being handed this as a as a as, as a project on, on AWS, I really wanted to reach out to to developers from different different backgrounds, different areas, because developers are involved in so many different things nowadays, so many different items. And I, a lot of the time I think of, you know, act, uh, developers like playing a part within a film or, or a play, and they play different positions, different characters, different roles. And so, you know, one time they might be QA, the next time they might be doing the security side, they, one time they might be doing architecture, you know, the next time they might be, you know, writing code. So I wanted to keep this kind of quite broad and, and touch on a number of subjects, but the partners that we have at AWS have also, they, you know, our partners have also going to have got, you know, DevRel teams and developers who are fierce and loyal within their communities. And I wanted to show, you know, developers who are, you know, big fans of, of AWS, uh, you know, like the heroes and the community builders, give them insights, yeah. some of the cool things that the partners are doing, you know, and how those things can help their workflows in the jobs that they're doing. And also for our partners, developers show how they can integrate those easily with, you know, the services with AWS, like EC2, S3, IAM, those kind of things as well. Um, so it's kind of like a, a DevRel to DevRel experience working with the partners and their developer relations teams and showing some really cool demos. One of the things I really, really like doing is showing actually live demos as well. So, you know, we try not to show many slides because no one really wants to look at slides and we do demos, live demos. And, you know, and then we take questions around that and we try to solve, you know, um, a problem that, you know, someone might be wrangling with or, you know, a blocker or something. And then we have a, you know, a good chat around the conversation. We keep it light, you know, all the way through. And, you know, Duane and I'd like to add the comedy value to it. Yeah. One thing with the partner network at AWS, some people don't necessarily realize that if they're not part of the, the club. Um, so we talk about communities a lot at AWS, which is things like our community builders program and the AWS heroes. But the partner network really is a global community as well. If you're listening and not familiar, there's people offering software, hardware, services, training, and distribution. So lots of different companies coming together in this global community. Do you have some examples of partners that you've had on your show or any sneak peeks of partners you will be having in future, Duan? Yes. So in our last series, we had Versailles with Lee Robinson, and that was awesome. He actually took us through a great project on how you can leverage Versailles in the cloud with AWS, you built a cool static website with some automation with REST and um, React and Next.js. Really enjoyed that. Uh, right now, we're 
have Datadog on, and we're working with Datadog to talk about observability in the cloud. So that's been great as well. Um, I love it. We we had Lee on. Mm, and so yeah. this is like perfect synergy. I have to go in. Let me know when your episodes are, and I'll add them to the show notes. And because we, we've recorded one with Datadog too. Yeah. And what we do in an audio format, you know, it's more conversational, but you all are actually demoing stuff, which I think is great. And Lee makes these great videos. Like he's got like perfect lighting and like perfect screens and stuff. I was telling him when he was on the podcast, I was like, you're like, it's the stuff I love to follow where it's like, here's the new stuff. And here's like five minutes of me hacking away on it. I love those kind of like, you know, short, short clips and all. Yes. I love those too. Um, one, one great thing about what we're doing is that Stuart and I actually worked together at Cisco and he was- Oh, did you all? Yes, yes we did. did. <laughs> this is why you're all so smart. <laughs> no, we're actually like really cool. Um, I look at Cisco, um, Stuart as a big brother. You know, he's so Aww. that when I became a de developer, developer advocate, he was my mentor, guided me, kind of showed me the ropes. And so it's awesome to have him here at AWS and we're able to work together on this project. So cool. Thank you, brother. This is why I love the AWS Cinematic Universe, as I keep calling it. Like how we all knew Lee from Versolve and Next.js and now how you yeah. knew each other before. Um, and I knew Linda, who's a developer advocate as well. We knew each other from TikTok before we worked each other on the same team. So it's just everyone sort of coming together, which is, it seems to be pulling the best people in from other avenues. Yes. I'm a big, big believer in networking with, with everybody and having conversations. And then, you know, you bump into them down the road and then they're working on something or you're working on something and you look for those opportunities to, to collaborate and work with people and, you know, to, um, to create an audience and like you said, build that synergy with people. I find that one of the best things about this job. I agree. One thing I always really like about your Twitch show as well is how often you take on the audience questions from the Twitch chat that comes through. <laughs> um, have you had any examples of that changing how you've run your shows or have you included more things due to those comments? Yes, less likes. The, the audience really seems to enjoy like our code when we, when we talk about the use cases, the problems, and then we dive in with different technologies, whether it's Next.js, um, Datadog, regardless of what it is, they seem to be really interested in seeing how to build things. And that's been awesome. I love that. Can you, the whole like partner program, the way that you are all doing it is different because we've had people on that you know cover partner uh there's a there's a team that actually like implements partner solutions and does white papers but you all seem to be doing it in like a community driven relationship way can you kind of talk to that a little bit around it, it feels to me like it's what's the best way i could say it? it's not sales it's not like this overall marketing pitch it's more coming from a developer first perspective is. Yeah. is that kind of the approach of the show yeah uh and your your philosophy yeah, exactly. So this was, you know, I like to think about it is this is built by developers for developers. That's the way that I like to think about it. It isn't um, AWS pulling the, all of the levers here. We're very flexible with the partners on what they want to show and the demos that they run. But this is really aimed at developers, hence why, you know, we cut it down and we don't have all, you know, many kind of slides and we don't talk about you know how how great the, the the partner is and their services we already know all of those things 
Yeah. You know, that's, 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 that's already a, a given. Um, and so we, we want to show cool demos and, and aim, aim at developers and, and, sh- and show code and things because I find, I find that the kind of the most interesting. If, if people want to read about what the partner does and, and, uh, and that, then, you know, the details are there. Feel free, go ahead, read that, you know, you know, when you're having a coffee on your break, et cetera. But this is all, this is all demo and, 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 and ready for developers because we want to, Seeing as a developer, you see something, and then what you want to do is you want to you want to go away and you want to tinker with that, you want to play with it, you want to do with it yourself. So we always give away that you know links to things like repos or how do you get started with this because someone is inspired by this, they want to use this as a vehicle for their next project, they're motivated by this, and they want to go and play with it themselves. You know, it's great seeing something, but imagine being shown that you're like you know, imagine being shown the best toy ever, which incidentally is Buzz Lightyear being shown that toy and then you're not allowed to play with it you know people yeah play with it exactly and that's kind of the philosophy i had behind the weekly podcast is the same i always go back to like in-person events yeah it, there's like you know the, the vibe if you've ever been to reinvent or the summits mm-hmm. or community events code camps like weekend just showing up yeah for me you know this podcast was that feeling where you would meet someone you find out a little bit about that person they tell you a couple of cool things to check out and you'd write down the URLs and then yes. be excited to go find yeah. them. Yeah. And what you're describing is that other part of in-person where I could have been struggling with writing a piece of code forever. I looked at the docs. Maybe I got a you know sample or two uh, through some searching and off stack yeah. overflow, but it never clicked. And yeah. you talk to another human being for like five minutes and they're like, oh, let me just show you. And you're like, yeah, ha- like I never even thought about doing it that way, right? It's all about human beings at the end. So that yeah. that kind of way of looking at this yeah. and the light bulb moments going on for developers, I think, is so important in this age of, you know, the past three years have been a little crazy, and we've had that yeah. disconnect. So being able to bring that back to the forefront, however we can, I, uh, I love that. I, I really, really love that because, you know, as an as a, as an advocate, you can go out there and you can talk about how good something is. But it really hits home when your customers become your advocates. Yeah. And the way that most of us find things out is if I find something really cool, be it some really great API documents or a really cool Python library, the first person I'm going to tell is probably Duan. And I'm going to put a link in into, into, into <laughs> TeamSpace or into Slack. I want to say, hey, go and check this out. Yeah, go and see this. Go and look at it. And and you know, once you start building something like that, then you kind of really get the momentum going. Oh yeah, absolutely. And being excited about something brings out your best work because it doesn't feel like work. It feels like play. And we're supposed to play as human yeah. beings. You mentioned like two different things here. Um, the first yeah. is community, right? It's all about community. And the second thing is that as a developer advocate, to really be successful, you create advocates and. Developer marketing does not exist, as the book by Adam Duvander mentioned. Mm. Um, what we do in order to be successful and to create aware- raise awareness, lead to adoption and onboarding and all of that, you have to meet developers where they are, engage in community, and then create other advocates around the things that you create. So those use cases, those problems that you saw, announcing something new, how you're using it to build something fun or to solve a problem. I think that resonates with the community as a whole. I I totally agree. And I've always felt, I feel like marketing is one to a million uh, and it'll be a message that gets blasted out. It's, it's short term, you know, it's a message. 
You're getting a lot of eyeballs on it. But to me, DevRel's always been relational. It's one to one and long term. Yeah. What was that? The term for that is actually spray and pray, which I just find. Oh my goodness! I don't know how I feel. Yeah, but it's I've heard parachute. It you know parachute marketing where it's like, hey, look, look at all this attention on this thing, and then it's gone. Whereas relational is, you know, you're there like you're talking about the current thing, but you're there for the other person, yeah. and you're learning together, and you'll still be there, even when the tech is you know different over time. I love that. I uh. I've, I've got a question for you, Duan. You're the first one I've seen with cloud networking, like in the DA title. And I think it's it's super interesting from that perspective. And, you know, uh, just, you know, people may know like VPC and things like that as they're looking into cloud. Like, how have you found that all fits into AWS and, and where do developers struggle? Yeah. So uh, my background is actually in network engineering, right? I uh, started on-prem and I got into network automation because traditionally network engineers really didn't code. Now, some of us did. We always had some type of automation, whether it's scripts on our routers and switches to fail over to different devices or to do some type of update. But as far as automating and updating the router or the switch, that's not something we really were able to do because those devices weren't API driven. And so, yeah, you know, 2016, 2018, that began to change. Devices were more API driven, centralized, software defined network, and really started taking over. And I got interested in coding and learning Python. So that kind of led me down this rabbit hole of learning network automation, which then led me to AWS. And so now that I'm here at AWS and really learning cloud network, and I see that although we're automating and we're extracting services and we're implementing new tools and application that makes it look like the networking is not even there. The networking is still the pivotal piece in that whole application that you're designing because although services are microservices, there's a network that's causing those services to communicate, yeah. right? <laughs> and traditionally that was done by let's say IPv4. Now IPv6 is becoming even more part, even more prevalent within the cloud because those IP4 addresses are either going to overlap or you're going to have some type of issue at some point. So understanding networking really can help you as an engineer or developer at be better at your job. I would like to say something controversial yet brave. <laughs> So I did my cloud practitioner certification and then I skipped straight through to my machine learning specialty certification. Nice. And I tried to study a few weeks ago for the solution architect associate one. And I realized I do not know anything about networking just because like it's never been part of anything that I did. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like, so my father is a telecommunications technician. So I feel like I'm bringing shame to the family by not knowing this. If someone hypothetically me wanted to actually learn networking correctly, uh, do you have any pointers on where I could start? And then any pointers for some pitfalls that hypothetically I may fall into? Right. So I, I get this question all the time. Like if you're a developer or if you're someone that's brand new to networking, right? If you're trying to learn AWS, when you start with AWS, the fundamentals are going to be the Amazon VPC. But there's a fundamental before that. That's going to be things like IP addressing, understanding DNS, understanding TCP the TCP IP protocol stack. How does that information flow up and down that stack? 
So understanding how applications communicate, routing, and things of that nature are very important to when you enter into the cloud. Because once you enter into the cloud, some of those things are going to be abstracted, like plugging in a a laptop into a switch or plugging in a server into a switch. That's going to be extracted, but there's still a layer of communication that happens in order for this point to talk to that point. And so you have to understand, okay, is it DNS? How do I troubleshoot DNS? Is it routing? How do I troubleshoot the routing? Is the IP addressing overlapping? Is there some type of conflict? How do I troubleshoot that? I want to make this into a big decision tree. (laughs) (laughs) Everything I currently know about networking is from a zine on from Julia Evans. She makes really good tech zines and it's called Networking Act. This is the front page. I'll put it up. It's got like drawings of a cat and everything on it. Oh, well, yeah. All okay. I know about networking is from this PDF. I'm going to call it in this coloring book. So I feel like there's definitely a wide world out there of um, other sources that are available. And you know, it's, it's also one of the things I've seen in my career. Like it was very different if you were using AWS when it was just EC2. And then as more and more services got added, you just naturally, it, it was, it just made sense. And you just kind of learned without really knowing you were learning, you were just part of that evolution, right? Yeah. And for me, I never even thought about the networking piece because I grew up in a time where I had to create my own subnets and I was using, you know, I was doing Banyan Vines networks and laying cable uh, you know, laying uh, BNC connectors on the back so that it would actually end the packet and looking at routing tables in novel netware and all this stuff. Like it was just reality. And now if you asked me to do it, I'd be like, I have no idea. It's just taking care of it for me. But yeah, I think, th- and this is a concern of mine. This is just me getting up on the soapbox for a second here is that as everything's gone digital. That's why I have all these old computers is the history of our space. If you think of every other, well, I, I, there's probably some other um, industries that are like this, but you know, there's there's art history, there's music history, mm-hmm. there's all this history of humanity and everyone who's gone before us. But with tech, it's it, it disappears, and it's up to I think all of us to kind of talk about that history and why things are the way they are and how we kind of get there. And I always find I love reading like tech books. Early days, you know, how how did how did AWS come about? How did you know Microsoft come about? And like, how does that all fit into it now too? With the networking and switches and wide area, is it still called WAN? I remember when I was getting my TCP/IP 4.0 MCSE certification, and I was working with Cisco switches, and it was called we had LAN and WAN. Yeah, you know, and like, how do you get from one to the other? Yeah, sometimes and all those things. How do you see all that fitting in today? I think it's good. Like you, I'm I'm a real historian for things as well. I mean, you know, you touched on music there for a second. I I, I love music. I've been playing, you know, instruments since I was five. And <laughs> I love the history of music, you know, like the origins of music, like one of my favorite. I, I really love neoclassical flamenco, you know, as much as I love Pantera and Metallica and Rammstein. Uh, right. I, you know, it's... um. I, I love the history of it. So I, I love the hit, like the hit, you know, the whole history of music of where, you know, certain genres of music come from. And, you know, that's really cool. And one of the things I was really interested in was, and I read a fantastic book called Tubes, which is behind the scenes at the internet. And it, it, it talks about how the internet was born 
and some of the you know original kind of buildings and things that were built, like the Equinix buildings in New York, and how the telecommunications things were built when they started laying submarine cables and all of those really cool things. It's a a fantastic book to read. It kind of talks about that how you know then how data centers started appearing you know globally around the world and how we move packets from from one geographical region to the other and how how that all works it's, it's, it's for me that's yeah super interesting but to your point on networking i started with the ccna when i decided i wanted to leave hairdressing and go into it I, I started networking just like duan i i jumped straight into the ccna um so cisco certified network associate so i did that as as, as a way forward and then went through like the, the professional certifications and I was studying for the CCIE RNS, so Certified Cisco Internetwork Expert, which is one of the highest level certifications that Cisco does. And I, I was. Do you get a special hat when you get that high of intelligence? You used to get a leather jacket. You know the a leather jacket. What the early days? Because it was actually called. And this is another one of those things I love history about. You know, like uh, Tony Slattery being the first CCIE. And then, well, then it was actually called the um, the Top Gun, and they used to have these bomber jackets. Oh, nice! And it was, it was, yeah, it was really, really cool to see. And then, fun fact is, the CCIE, the first number, it doesn't actually start with CCIE number one. I think it starts with like one thousand twenty-six. Oh, of course. The number of the door in the Cisco office where you went to take the exam. Oh, wow. So it's like, yeah, I mean, yeah, fun fact. It's, you know, sneak that in when it goes quiet and snug to impress all your friends. So, yeah, so it's like, you know, the, the whole certification route was really good. And then before I left Cisco, I actually got the chance to to be, to write the uh, uh, DevNet certifications. So there's 10 DevNet certifications and I, I contributed to, to those right from the ground up. So after taking certifications for, you know, 10 years, to be able to go kind of behind the scenes and see how they are made and write the questions and yeah. decide, you know, who the audience is, grade the questions, review the questions. And then the final piece for me was I got to work on the DevNet Expert Certification, which was the first expert new se- uh, expert certification that Cisco had released in like seven or eight years. And then so, and, and by doing that, I was actually grandfathered in. So I think my number now is something like, something like 20, Two zero two two zero 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 five. At the time, I was one of five in the world. I think now there's probably around about eight, ten, ten people with that certification now. Wow. Yeah. I really think working with Cisco brings out problem solving in people, yes. though. So I back in previous life, I worked at a startup that was, I think they're a global partner with Cisco. Um, they're still on the DevNet website, so that counts. Um, it's a smart building, smart workplace tech startup called PlaceOS. Um, and you could do people location mm. in a building based on Meraki and switch data even. Um, and then you could add cool UX on top of that. And so many of the people I worked with had come from Cisco networking land and then applied other dev skills on top of this. And I really think it just frames you in a way that, first of all, you know how to read documentation. <laughs> and second, you know how to learn. I think there's a lot of people who would be listening that don't believe in certifications is there anything that we can tell them why certifications are helpful or anything that you would normally tell people about certifications that would surprise them, I guess? I think it depends on who we're talking to, right? If I'm talking to a developer, I'm going to tell them the code. I'm not really going to tell them to 
or I'm not really going to advise to um, get certifications unless they're working in the cloud, then okay, build something in the cloud. And then once you start building things and you get comfortable, validate what you've learned by getting the certification. And so if I'm talking to a network engineer, the, the barrier to entry to becoming a network engineer is a little higher, I think, in the, than compared to other job roles. And that's because you actually hold the infrastructure access in your hands when you take that network, right? And so taking that certification route will help you understand networking, will help you understand routing, switching. It will help you be able to understand the things that you will see in the environment. Now, it's not going to show you everything. Mm-hmm. Chances are a lot of what you learn from the certification will not be on what you, when you get in an environment, that'd be totally different, but at least you'll have the foundational skills. And Brooke, something I wanted to show you. We were talking, so I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you a question and just kind of uh, roll with me on this, right? Hi, Brooke. Hi, Duas. How are you doing? I'm nervous. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally okay. And so when, when you think about how this conversation starts, I said, hi, Brooke. And you said, hi, Duan. And I said, and you said, how are you doing? I said, I'm doing okay. That's actually a three-way handshake. That's actually TCP right there. And so we established that communication flow. This is something we do every yeah. day. At UDP would be like, you don't even need to get an answer. <laughs> you have no idea. There's no act. Yeah. I, I, at this point, I think I would tell you, but I don't think anybody would get it. <laughs> I, uh, I, and you, uh, Stuart, you remind me, I did uh, consulting for a while. I mean, this is going back to the 90s, but I worked at Tyco Submarine Systems, who laid the transatlantic cable. And I remember being in that building. Uh, it was an old Lucent AT&T building in, uh, in, in middle New Jersey and seeing the paintings and all the stuff they had of ships. Like, I didn't realize how maritime it was that all this transatlantic cable was going across. And I mean, nowadays it's a little bit different because we still, you know, we have satellite and we have all those kind of things. And I know there's been some new stuff in the news too about transatlantic cable and all of that. But it was just, it was fascinating to me. I loved the idea, and you got to send me the URL of tubes Mm. behind the scenes of the internet, right? Because that's what these things were. And it was just fascinating how it was connecting peoples and cultures who weren't connected that before, you know, those early days of the internet through physical cables. Yeah. It was through these tubes, you know, it was just, it was incredible. I, um, is it, what's next for all of you where, for, for this show? Like where, what's got you excited? Where are you taking it? Super curious. So we've got, you know, we're planning out, you know, the rest of the year with, with the big dev theory. Um, and we're looking and we're talking with, you know, partners who we've got coming up for future shows so, you know, future shows and things we've got coming up. Um, we've been speaking with like JetBrains. Um, we've been speaking with Hashi, MongoDB. We've been speaking with them, speaking with Postman. Nice. Um, yeah, speaking with some, you know, some, re- some really cool tech and even some startups as well. You know, starting with, you know, the startups who are d- um, building great, uh, great applications which work in conjunction with, you know, with AWS. We've got, something really cool to show as well. You know, they've been doing some some really great work with things like CICD as well. So yeah, some really sort of exciting partners to come up and some really cool, you know, demos as well, which really looking forward to seeing how all, how all of this sits together because it's just a, a complete learning experience for us, you know, seeing these things as well. And one of the things that I kind of 
was a little bit nervous about when when starting to be dev their, their theory was is that you know i don't know all of these technologies and it's impossible for everybody to know every technology but i think sometimes that's what makes it cool because i'm asking questions and duan's asking questions that perhaps the audience is thinking you know and they want to know these things and so i've always gone into these things with a you know being sort of very vulnerable and being able at just asking questions you know someone it, it might be the most basic a question but I can always guarantee that I'm not the only one thinking or wanting to ask that question. So I kind of see myself as a, I take everything from day one. We'd love to see it. I know your show is on twitch.tv slash AWS on Tuesdays, but I don't actually remember what time it's on. So can you please remind me and the audience members who might like to tune in when they can catch your show? Uh, so we're on at, and Duane will keep me honest here, is 11 a.m. PDT, 8 a.m. PDT, and then for me being in the UK, it's 4 p.m. GMT. So that's 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time and 8 a.m. Yeah. Um, Pacific Standard Time. And if you would like to be reminded of this, follow Stuart and Duan on Twitter and they post when it's happening, which is how I find out when the show is every week. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you both so much for joining us. Hopefully everyone will join you for the next episode of The Big Dev Theory, and we can't wait to see what you have for the rest of 2023. Thank you so much. This was great. Thank you, Will.